Man, thank you all for being here. My name is John Hugh. If you're visiting with us today, and I know several of you are, um, because it's kind of a, a snow day. And, uh, you know, we wanted to have church, although we are downscaling a lot. Uh, I know we've got a lot of folks that are out. We're not having our family ministry. So we're one entire church family, kids and all. We are kind of having a pseudo nursery out in the foyer. So if you need to go to the nursery, children, some adults, you can just hang out there. But, um, but anyway, we're, just, we're glad to worship and just praise our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ together as the body of Christ. Thank you all for being here. We're going to start, um, or we're going to continue after worship with a baptism, an infant baptism. Baptism of Sam Blackwood, Jim and Kelly Blackwood's son. I'm going to ask them to come on up. Any friends, family, their small group, if y'all want to come up here. And as they come, would y'all stand and just greet each other? I don't know, say Happy New Year, say how are you doing, say... You know, did you manage to drive here okay? Anyway, just greet one another, and then we're going to celebrate this holy baptism, if y'all will. Ask one of y'all to hold the picture. Okay. We may need to come on over some. Okay. Yeah, if we can just get everybody out here. I don't want anybody to trip over the wire, so. All right, guys, y'all can be seated. Um, let me tell you what's going on here. You're going to see this, this beautiful little boy here, baby Sam, Jim and Kelly's son, be baptized. Now, what you're not going to see is the Holy Spirit, God, just put his hand on this child's heart and say, you are mine. And since you've been born, you've been mine, and you're always going to be mine. What we're doing in infant baptism is God is laying claim to this child's life, and we as a church family and they as parents and their family will raise this child up so that one day he can choose Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. But right now, in baptism, we celebrate this, this act of the Holy Spirit, this sacrament where God is saying, Sam, yes, you are Jim and Kelly's son, but you are my son first and foremost, and the hand of God will always be upon his life. So, Jim, Kelly, as parents, I have a couple questions for you guys. One, do you renounce all sin in your life? Second, do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And last, will you raise your son Sam in the knowledge and love of Christ so that when he comes of age, he can choose Jesus as his own Lord and Savior? Okay. Jim, I'd like you to pour the water for um, your son's baptism. Let's do a little, if you'll hold that for a second. I'm going to try to hold Sam, if, I, if he'll let me. Hey, buddy. Wow. You don't know what this is, do you? <coughs> What's the God-given name of this child? Samuel Riley Blackwood. I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, this, this precious little boy, as we get a little further away from his mama, 
this precious little boy, okay, we'll come over here, is Jim and Kelly's son. But today, as I've spoken and we highlight, he is most importantly God's son. But also he's been baptism, baptized within the context of a community, of a church, of a family. And so we take infant baptism very seriously. So much so that we commit as a church to help raise Sam in the knowledge and love of Christ so that he will know him and choose him as his Lord and Savior. And if you as the body of Christ will commit to do that, would you say amen right now? Please join me in prayer for Sam and for his parents, Jim and Kelly. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks for this beautiful child, this little boy. I pray over him that your Holy Spirit would raise him up so that he would know Christ more and more, love him more and more, and come to serve him in some special way. I pray over Jim and Kelly as parents. pray for James, his brother, that they would be a family united in Christ. And that we as their church family could love and support them, whether, whether they are here, in their work, in their marriage, in their life, and in the raising of these two boys. I pray that we can do that, that we can be the body of Christ. Thank you that we together can celebrate this baptism. Go with us all as we can, we can strive to learn and love and serve you more. In the name of Jesus, amen. Would you all join me in just welcoming this baby into the family of Christ. Jim Kelly, I thank you guys. And again, we want to be here for y'all as you raise both James and Sam in the knowledge and the love of Christ. So may God bless y'all. Thank you. We're going to enter into our time of offering now. And, um, you know, one thing I'd like to highlight, as you see this baptism, and you've heard me talk about being the body of Christ, that is what we want to want to do and what we want to be, the body and a family. So as you give of your time and of your service and also of your tithe, I thank you because what we're building here is not just a church, but it is the body of Christ. It is his family, and we thank you for everything that you give. Amen. Thank you guys again for leading us in worship. And uh, as the band steps down, would y'all uh, join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, I do give you thanks for this day. Uh, dear Lord, those that uh, are not with us, I just ask that you keep your hand upon them and their family. But I pray over us here as your body, as your family, that you would open our hearts to what your Holy Spirit has to say. And regardless of where everybody is or what's going on in their life, I pray just for the next little bit that they would be sensitive to your Holy Spirit and you would speak into all of our lives because you are here and we just praise you, but most of all, we want to listen to what you'd have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all again for being here. Um, okay, it's the start of the new year. Uh, I love this time because it is the time for new starts, um, new resolutions, new commitments. Uh, I'm curious as to what all of you might be uh, starting up or, or renewing a commitment or having a new resolution. You know, most often it's, uh, you know, get into better shape. Or, you know, do some race, or Lord forbid, you know, do an Ironman, something like that. Uh, we got a few nutcases in here that, that actually do that. But um, anyway, not saying anything. Um, but it's to get into better shape, or, you know, some of our resolutions center on our finances. You know, whether we want to try to make more money, or be uh, more prudent with our finances, or, or give more, or save more, you know, something like that. 
Um, hopefully, I, I'd love for you guys to make a commitment to like, you know, read your Bible every day, do a devotion, things like that. Hopefully, you're making some type of spiritual commitment. But, you know, bottom line, this is the time that we make resolutions. This is the time that we renew a commitment or make a new commitment. And, um, you know, you really get down to it. Commit is a tough word. I mean, it's, it's a hard word, not an easy word. Because when you commit, you're, you're giving of yourself to something. Uh, there was a time in my life where I wanted to make no commitments at all. I mean, I was just, you know, the word commitment was scary. And, you know, I don't even think I was guys that, you know, relationship. Well, that was definitely part of it. But, you know, I wanted to explore the world and explore my options and explore career choices. I just didn't want to commit to anything. And, you know, as I'm thinking about this message, it was really selfish of me. I mean, to not make a commitment, if, if you think about it, it's, it's very selfish because you don't want to commit to anything. You want to stay free and, you know, focus on yourself and have the freedom to do different things. And when you commit to something, you're actually saying, hey, I'm going to give myself to this, whether it is a church, whether it is to a ministry of the church or a small group. You're going to give your time. You're going to give your effort and say, hey, I'm not going to do that. Well, I mean, just frankly, I mean, that's, that's selfish. So now you can say, if you go back and you have someone that you know that's not making a commitment, you can say, hey, John, you just said you're selfish. I know they're going to love that, but, you know, go ahead if you want to. I think it is selfish. But today I want to start something as the start of this new year. I want us to make a new commitment. I'm starting this series called Commit. I want to challenge you to commit. I want you to, to challenge you to commit, one, to grow spiritually, as I've already said whether it's time in the Word, whether it's a devotion, whether it's a small group, but that you're committed to growing in your life spiritually. Second, I'd love for you to commit to other people, to look outside yourself and say, hey, I am going to commit to others. If you're part of this church, maybe you can commit to, to helping someone here or maybe simply to greeting someone out there, but you're looking outside again your own life and say, hey, I'm going to commit to other people. I'd love for you, if you're a member of this church, or you say, hey, God's led me here to commit to Bellwether, to seeing this work grow. But above all, and what I'm going to talk about today, is I want you to commit or recommit your life, your entire life, to Christ, to Jesus Christ. Because that's the main thing that matters. That is the most important thing. Now, you may be saying to yourself, you may be saying, hey, that's easy, I've already done that, you know, got the t-shirt, gotten baptized, but maybe you hadn't fully, like, committed your life. So what I'm talking about here is, like, you fully say the most important thing in my life is Christ. I'm going to commit all of my life to Him. Wherever He leads me, I will go. Whatever He tells me, I will do. All of that. I'm going to commit my life to Christ. Now, if you think about it like that, you could easily say, man, that's, that's challenging. That's hard. But as I hope you're going to see that that's actually very simple. The hard part is what I've got to do. The challenging part is really for me. I, see, I've got to convince you that you should commit your life to Christ. Because the way our minds work and the way our, our really just ourselves kind of function is that we can easily say, you know, practically, there's so many other better things to commit to. There's so many other really more important things. I mean, we can say, hey, commit to Christ, that's most important. But when you get down to it, you know, Let's say paying off your house note, you know, is more important. Or getting a better job is more important. Or saving some money is more important. Or, hey, recommitting to your marriage is more important. You know, you could say all these things practically, day to day, week to week, that could 
arguably be more important than saying, hey, I'm giving my life to Christ. But giving your life to Christ is the most important thing, and I'll tell you why. Because it's a heart issue. It's an issue of, of the heart. There is a, a literal hole in our heart that nothing can change or heal or, or remedy except Christ. Let me tell you how. How? In our heart, we have an inability to love. I know you say, hey, I love my mom, my dad, I love my my spouse, I love my children. No, but there's an inability to love. You see, if someone hurts you, if someone gossips about you, if someone says wrongful things about you, if someone says wrongful things about someone you love, that is going to hurt, and there's an inability in our heart to love that person, truly. Usually, we just... Keep our distance or stay away or, you know, don't talk to them or, you know, I mean, that's, that's our human nature. I mean, it's, we can't on our own love a person who does that, a person who wrongs us or hurts us. Inability to love. There's also a void in all of our lives, in all of our hearts. Because all these commitments or hopefully all these commitments that you're making to better your life financially, relationally, career-wise, job-wise, there's still going to be this void. And there's still going to be this next commitment that you've got to make. You know, if you're trying to train for something, you know, look, I'll be honest. Somebody can do an Iron, Iron Man, and that's not going to fill them up, and they're going to still want to do another Iron, Iron Man, or there's going to be another physical challenge. That void will never be filled. Or if it's a financial deal, and you can make so much money, well, then you're going to want to make more money and more money. There's, it's never going to stop, Okay. There's this void. You're not going to have peace. We're just not. If we look at these commitments and these resolutions as ways that would, would give us peace. So an inability to love, there's a void in our hearts, and there's a fear in our heart. When you get down to it, there's a, there's a real fear. And, and most, most times you see this is when someone faces death. Someone faces death. I've told you the story, I'll tell it again, about this, this gentleman who I knew who lived into his 90s. And, man, just this strong believer, this strong Christian, always attending church. And he was like, you know, how do I really know that I'm going to go to heaven? Because he was, he was nearing his death. And you all heard me say, this guy, he had no reason to fear. He had been to, like, every Ole Miss game in 60 years. Sports, I mean, I'm serious. Some of you all may know him, but... He shared, he said, you know, how do I really, really know? There is this fear of death. Some of you may be facing death in the sense of a loved one that you know and love may be close to death. There's a fear. You know, how, how am I going to live without this person? If I, if I lose this loved one, what, what's going to happen to me? How am I going to make it? There, there's fear. Inability to love. Avoiding our heart. And a legitimate fear of death or a loved one passing. See, guys, we can do everything in our power. We can do so much on our own. And we want to live the right life and the best life and do all the right things. And we're striving to get there. And nothing is going to get where we want to be except Christ. Because it's a heart issue. We can't heal our hearts. I'm going to use a story of, of uh, someone who completed an Ironman. Ironmans are 
as some of you know, it is really the most challenging uh, physical test of the body. And some of you may know this story, a, a young lady named Julie Moss, I believe it was in the early 1980s, 1982, she had trained for this Ironman, it was in Hawaii, it was the most challenging of Ironmans, and she was training to win, not just to finish it. And so she did the Ironman, and you know, the last part is the marathon, and you know, she was running it, and about 100 yards to go, she felt her legs just, just buckle. And, you know, she had been straining, she said, the last 10 miles, but she just knew she was going to make it. So she was, she was running, her legs just started giving out. But she could see the finish line. She could see the crowds of people urging her on. So she, she was saying, man, I can do this, I can do this. I can cross that line on both feet, you know, whether running or slow jog or even walking. And so she kept on. And then literally, she said it was about 20 yards to go, and she collapsed. I mean, she just, she broke down, she fell, she could literally not walk, she could literally not pick herself up. She was leading the race. And so as she lay there on the ground, she saw the person who was behind her ultimately pass her and win the Ironman. Now, she did finish. She literally, the last 10 to 20 yards, she crawled past the finish line. So she did finish. But the lesson I want all of us to know is, we so think that we can do it on our own, and we can't. We are like Julie Moss, and that we will ultimately, as far as we can go, as hard as we can work, we will break down, and we're not going to be able to make the finish line on our own. But Christ can not only make it for us, he can lift us up, pick us up, and carry us to the finish line. How does he do this? And how does that happen? We've just had Christmas. We're entering into the new year. And you know me, I love Christmas, and we've preached on the Christmas story. But there's, there's something else in the Christmas story. Really, it's kind of co- like the rest of the story. I used to love Paul Harvey and listen to him. Let me tell you the rest of the Christmas story, because the rest of the Christmas story is really also the rest of the gospel story. It's also the rest of the Easter story. And you may not have heard this story But if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke 2, a story you may not have heard or may not know. And as I I read this, I first want to say that all of us and all the people in all the world fall into one of three categories, okay? Now, we may be different things, and we may do different careers and have different emotions and different hobbies and stuff like that, but everybody falls in one of these three categories. They're either a, a common person. When I say that, I don't mean it as a negative or disparaging remark. I just mean like someone who's a simple guy, girl, who, you know, just wants to live and live in peace and live happily. And, you know, and they could be, you know, a businessman or lawyer and a doctor. But they're just, you know, they want to live a, a simple life. Common. Or you're a thinker. You like to analyze things. You like to probe. You like to question. You like to look into things. You like to ask why. Why is the universe like this? Why do we do the things? Why, why, why? If you're a thinker or you're a religious person, when I say you're a religious person, you wrap your life around trying to have a better faith or learn about God more or read more scripture, but just you're wrapped around religious things. Maybe you're 
two of the three. Maybe you're a thinker and a religious person. Maybe you live a simple life and you want to be religious. But we all fall into at least one of those, if not two. Okay? If you're in Luke 2, I'm going to pick up in verse 25. And remember those three, the common, the thinker, and the religious. Luke 2, verse 25. It says, There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul, to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, serving night and day with fasting and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. I share with you this passage of the man Simeon and a woman, Anna. These were religious people. These were people who spent their days, their nights in the temple, either praising God or giving sacrifices, or Anna said she was a widow, and so she devoted her entire life to God. These were religious people. They strived to know God. They strived to find God. They strived to understand God. And after all that, God came to them. I mean, God literally came to them as a baby. And my point in all this, how does Jesus give us peace? How does Jesus give us love? How does Jesus fill that void? It's when we know that Christ, as God, has come to each of us. Because, see, the rest of the Christian story is, first Christ came, and he came to the shepherds. He came to common people. He came to people who just wanted to live a simple life, who just wanted to tend their sheep. People who, you know, didn't care about the ways or the matters of the world or the kingdom. And angels came to them said, glory in the highest. God has come to you, the commoner. But he didn't stop there. God also came to the thinker. See, there were wise men in the east. These wise men were astronomers. They analyzed things. They wanted to know the ways of the world. They wanted to know the shape of the universe. They wanted to know how the stars were aligned. They wanted to know, is God in this? And so they were thinkers. But God came to them through a star. And through knowing prophecy. And they followed till they found the Christ child. Angels came to them and said, flee and don't go back that way. God came to the thinkers of the world. And then last, for those who strive to get to God, 
through church or through religion, God came to the religious person, literally as a child, and they rejoiced and said, this is what we've been waiting for. This will bring salvation. This will bring redemption. God came to the commoner, to the thinker, and to the religious person. But then not only did he come to this world, not only did he come to all people, but God loved us so much that he said, I can't just offer you his life to be lived. I offer you his life to die. And so Christ went to the cross. And you see the love of God just portrayed as he sent his son to die on the cross. God loved us so much that he said, there's such a void in your heart. And there's literally such a darkness that you can't fully love that I will offer my son. And in the love of God, there's also the justice of God because somebody had to pay a penalty. Some of you thinkers out there, you know, if someone does wrong, there has to be someone who pays the penalty. And so with Jesus on the the cross, not only does it show the love of God, but it shows that justice was paid and served so that the sin in our life We really, we don't have to worry about because Christ gave his life for it. And if we just focus on what he did on the cross in his death and then his resurrection, that is righteousness. That is is what it's all about. And that's why we worship. You know, Chris and our worship team, they don't just lead us in worship to just, hey, man, that's what churches do and let's just come and, you know, let's just stand and, you know, hear some good tunes or whatever. No, I mean, to truly worship and sometimes this is why, you know, we may not truly worship is to know what God has done in sending Christ to everyone, the common, the thinker, the religious person, and then him dying for us. That's why we worship. And here's one other thing. Christ rose again. What did he do when he came back? What did he do when he was resurrected? First, he appeared to the women and to his disciples, common people, simple people. There was one who was not there, Thomas, the skeptic, the thinker, one who said, I will not believe until I see the scars in his hands and the scars in his feet. So Christ again revealed himself to the thinker, to the skeptic. And then finally, once more, Christ came to Paul, the religious person who had strived all his life to know the scripture, to be a good Jew. Even so much as this sect that was rising and growing, that he killed people for it. Christ came to him too, the one who was trying to be so religious. He comes for us all, the common, the thinker, the religious person. And he says, whoever you are, whatever you've done, whatever your commitments are, whatever your resolutions are, whatever you're striving for, God came to us in Christ, and then he died for us so that we have life, so that we could love those that we think are unlovable, so that we could find peace, and that we could have strength to ultimately conquer death. I want to show you a video clip. It's about five minutes, so just sit back and relax. It's from my favorite miniseries, Band of Brothers. Many of you have seen it. 
But just to set it up, this is the scene as this, this troop, the 101st Airborne, were getting ready to go to France, to Normandy, for D-Day. And um, there's some things that I want to highlight at the end of it, but just, uh, just sit back and watch this brief clip. It's a powerful scene, but it's actually more than we think it is. And here's why I show it to you. Those troops, you saw the expression on their faces, very solemn. They were well-trained. They were the best. But they knew that they were headed to face death. They knew that some of them would never make it. And you saw the, the faces of the soldiers on the ground as the planes took off. And they knew that those brothers of theirs, they would many never see again. And when you are in that moment, and some of you may be in moments like that. No, you're not going into war, into battle, but some of you may be facing death, either of a loved one, maybe in your own life. Some of you may be facing a great crisis. Maybe it's a death of the spirit. Maybe it's the death of a career. Maybe it's the death of something. But you need something more than your own strength, than your own internal power. You have to have Christ. Those men to survive would have to have Christ. Us, for us to survive, we have to have Christ. And then secondly, you may think that you're alone. Whatever you're going through, if you're facing death, you may think you're alone. And I love the scene of the company commander. And you think it's one plane. And he gets out there at the doorway, and the camera fades back, and you see literally hundreds, hundreds of planes and boats moving together for one common cause. And what I would say to us as a church, you've heard me talk about a family, you've heard me talk about a body of Christ, that we be one. I pray for the unity of this church. I pray for the unity of all churches. Honestly, churches get into petty quabbles and all of that bickering, and, you know, I just don't want to fool with it. We need to be united in one purpose with one goal, committed to Christ and his kingdom moving forward. That's what I want us to be about here, recommitting to the work of Christ at this church. You are not alone. First and foremost, you have Christ. Second, you have a church behind you. Another reason I show that scene, at the very beginning, you saw the commander the man's name was Lieutenant Winters. And I love it because his company is seated, and he literally is raising them up, each one. He raises one, he raises another, and they go up on the plane. And I say that because we've got some Lieutenant Winters here. And if Christ raises you up, the only reason he raises you up is so that you can grab a hand and raise someone else up. And let me say, it's time for some of you, and I could call a lot of names, but it's time that you become like Lieutenant Winters and start raising people up and let God raise your life up so that you can be the person and the leader, the commander that he has called you to be. And then last but most important, we face an enemy. There is an enemy who wants to seek out and destroy life with Christ, churches, everything. There is opposition. But see, what Christ did on the cross, 
what God did in sending Jesus into this world for the common, for the thinker, for the religious person, is that he took on that enemy at the cross, and that was D-Day. And we know the results of D-Day. Yes, the war continued a little bit, but that was the nail in the coffin. Christ on the cross is our D-Day. The battle is won. Victory is assured. And so, when you face an enemy or when you face darts or arrows of the enemy, be them doubts or challenges or hurt in your life, know the battle has been won. Christ came for all of us. He died for all of us. What should we do? I told you at the beginning, it's very simple. Acts 2, 38. The gospel had been proclaimed to these people, and they responded to Peter and said, What shall we do? And Peter said, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. One other passage. What should you do? Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's really not hard at all. It's really very simple. Repent, believe, confess, be baptized. A new year, a new start, new resolutions, new commitments. Regardless of every other commitment that you have in your life, I hope today you commit to Christ. And I'm not just saying it as one of three or four things that you're doing for the new year. I'm saying you commit your life to Christ. And if you say, hey, I've done that song and dance, you recommit your life truly, wholly, completely to Christ. I hope you will do that. I hope you will say that on the snow day, on the day it snowed, I came to church and my life was forever changed because I committed my life to Christ. I recommitted my life to Christ then and there. I hope you will commit. I don't often do this, but I, we always give an invitation, whether to pray in your seat, to come to the altars, that is always open. I'm going to give another invitation today because I want you, I pray that your heart is open. I pray that you're not listening to me, that you're listening to the Holy Spirit. And I know some of you are struggling to commit or to recommit. Guys, today is the day for you to recommit your life to Christ. And if you want to do that, I invite you to just come up here and to stand to the side as Chris leads us in an invitational song. If you need to come for prayer, if you're facing death, if you're facing a void, if you're facing hurt and bitterness where you can't love someone, please come to prayer. Our staff, our Jeremiah prayer team will be up here. But for those of you who want to commit or want to recommit, come up and let us see so we can help you and support you. I pray that your hearts will be open. I pray right now, on the snow day of 2011, you can always say that you committed. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are life. I thank you that you have brought us life. I thank you that regardless of how we work or we strive 
that you have paid the price. Lord, I pray right now that people would know that. I pray that people would truly know it, not conceptually or intellectually or even just as scripture and biblical knowledge or what they were taught in Sunday school. I pray that here today on what I've called the snow day, folks will know that you came to us, whether we're a commoner, whether we're a thinker, whether we're a religious person. And then you went to the cross. And if we focus on that, on what you did, we will have life. Dear Lord, I pray people here and now will commit. I pray that there's someone here or others that are here that will recommit today and that we can walk with them as a church, as the body of Christ. In the name of Jesus, amen. you stand, please? Thank you all again. Uh, as we close, first I'd like to say, if you have today committed your life to Christ, or if you've recommitted either to Christ or the work he's doing here, please, we want to know about it. Um, I'm thankful that, that God is moving this church, but let me know, either email me or email one of our staff folks. If you've committed, we just want to know and we want to help you. We want to help raise you up to be the person to live the life that, that God has for you. We're going to have someone who's coming to join our church family, Catherine Cress. If she would come on down now, and any friends, loved ones who want to support her. And as they come down, I just want to highlight one brief announcement. Uh, many of you have asked. We have a, uh, a women's group that is starting, and it's starting out of Good Morning Girls, which is an email chain that many of our women at Bellwether and actually beyond do. But this group is starting. We call it Good Morning Girls Live because it's literally going to be, you know, live and sit around and study the Bible and, you know, face-to-face, person-to-person. Um, if you don't know about this and want to be part of it, we'll be mentioned at the next couple Sundays, but email me, Denise Earl, Denise Earls Walsh. Gosh, <laughs> forgive me. I'm sorry. Denise Walsh is, uh, is going to be leading that. And um, anyway, if you're interested in being part of that, please let me know. And then uh, Catherine and her crew, come on out here. Catherine, her daughter, Anna Meadows, and Gunner. Um, have been uh, part of this uh, church life really for uh, almost about a year and uh, they have decided that this is where God has called them they want to join this family and we're just thankful for them and want to be here to support them and pray for them and um, I don't know Catherine if you want to say a word or two or no think so okay we always give folks that opportunity but uh, I thank y'all and they're already active just with hospitality and in our youth ministry and family ministry. So they have already gotten plugged in also to a bellwether group. So, Catherine, I just want you to know that we want to be here for you truly as the body of Christ, as his family. And uh, call on me or call on us any way that we can help you. So let's join together. Would you stand with me and pray over Catherine? And then I have one other word before we close. So y'all join me in a word of prayer. And uh, as always, if y'all would like to extend a hand as one body, please do so as we pray for Catherine and her family. Heavenly Father, I thank you for leading Catherine, Hannah Meadows, and Gunner here to Bellwether. Dear Lord, I just pray over them that their growth would continue, that they would know you more, that they would grow both personally by the scripture, corporately together in worship, and then in smaller groups and in service here at Bellwether. But help us to be the family and body that undergirds them that they can come to, not only to see Christ, but be strengthened to handle the challenges that, uh, that all of us face as we go through in life. 
I thank you for them, and it's in Jesus' name, amen. As we close, Chris and the guys lead us in sanctuary. And I just, as we enter a new year, I want you to think about these words because we don't just sing this as a rope deal. We want to say, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. With thanksgiving, I want to be a living sanctuary for you. Hope you go out committed to Christ and being his sanctuary this year. Thank you, God bless you, and be safe today.